Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, while GM is preparing to release its first steering wheel-less car, Americans are skeptical of driverless cars. We'll take a look back at 2017. Online sales soared. It was the year that made social media infamous. And we'll also talk about Google Trends from 2017. And in Profiles in IT, it's Andrew Houston, the co-founder and CEO of Dropbox. And of course, it was a huge huge mailbag there's a letter wow. in your mailbox he, he showed up for work today right on the money yeah i tell you you know why it's too cold to smoke out in the back <laughs> so you know that's what i see smoking in here I, that's I'm right that's the problem we got the question is what is he smoking in here well, you hold it. Is it, it marijuana is not legal in the in the district, is it? But he, apparently he has medical problems. So oh, medicinally, it's, oh, he's got a card, so could he can. Be, it could be medical <laughs> medical <laughs> marijuana. Yes, we got an email from Dave in Elkridge. Hello, Doctor Shirts. Thanks for all your cord cutting information. That Just, sounds painful. That's right. Just an observation. I was wondering why they call it cord cutting. Aren't you just cord swapping? Aren't you just swapping one cord, say a cable TV cord, for another cord like an Ethernet cord or an Ethernet cable? Uh, it's, uh, you know, because you still have a cord somewhere. Uh, it, so it seems like that would be the only way to do real cord cutting would be just to have over-the-air television and get rid of all the Internet. Well, Dave, you are right. Pure cord cutting means you just go exclusively with over-the-air television. You just basically hook your TV up to an antenna and you just get rid of all that crazy internet stuff and just get all your information over the airways. That would be true cord cutting. And I would say I'm more of a cord swapper. That's true. I wanted to get over the air television so I could get cheaper content that I would stream over the internet. And of course I'm I'm using Netflix. I'm using Amazon Prime Video for watching all the movies. And I've picked a particular over the top package of uh, products that I like. I'm using uh, you know, direct uh, TV now, which is which had had the the uh, correct selection of channels that I wanted for only thirty five dollars. But it's really more of a cord cord swap than a cord cut. I think that's very very true. By the way, you know, uh, talking that I was watching uh, live TV on my uh, on my uh, on my cell phone here in the studio because remember when I hooked up my antennas at the house, I went into a device called a Tableau which has four tuners, and I can, I can basically store pictures on the tab. I can, I can store video on the Tableau, and I can also distribute all of the TV channels throughout my whole house by, via Wi-Fi on the Tableau. But the Tableau also allows you to connect to it from outside of the house. So I, I did some port forwarding through my, uh, through my firewall, 
and I can use my cell phone and log into the Tableau at home. So I was sitting here in the studio watching live television on my cell phone that was being picked up on the, from the antenna in my house. And I have to say... There is no cord going into my cell phone now. No, so there isn't. at this moment, you are cord free. I am a true cord cutter. <laughs> and that is pure over the air television. Mm-hmm. And so I could watch that over the air television anywhere in the world using this uh, Tableau Connect feature, which is a pretty neat feature that doesn't cost anything. Once you, once you sign up for the $5 a month uh, directory service where they download all the TV schedules for you, that gives you access to the. Uh, Tableau Connect, and the, and I make the connection. I go in through the uh, Tableau servers. The Tableau servers connect me to my house, and then that, that way I can stream directly. So it's a very nice service. Uh, we got an email from Carl Tyler. Dear Dr. Schertz, could you please explain blockchain in regard to cryptocurrency? I know there are a lot of articles on the web, but I want you to explain it so I can understand it. Can it be used for anything other than cryptocurrency? Could you also profile Vitalik Buterin? He's the inventor of the cryptocurrency Ethereum. I think he's been an interesting person to talk about. Didn't you talk about him once? I have, actually. I did. See, I, 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 I featured stuff. him on July 15th, 2017, actually. Uh, he, he's, he, oh, we also noticed that Mr. Big Voice is getting a lot more airtime than he did in the past. Is Jim grooming him possibly to take over when he retires? <laughs> Mr. Big Voice would have to have hands in order to take over for me. It would. Or He'd actually have to be a real person. Or is this a union thing that just states he must get more airtime? It's, it's a lazy thing That's is what it is. <laughs> Thanks for a great podcast, Carl Tyler. Okay, let's talk about, uh, well, we, I did this, Vitalik Buterin, I did cover him uh, last July, and he did invent uh, Ethereum, which I'll explain in a minute. So let's talk about blockchain, what blockchain actually is. It's a, it's a new way to track things. It's a ledger. It's a ledger which is distributed among many, uh, many different people. So it's a public ledger that is, uh, that is uh, distributed across many different computers, many different nodes. So you can't really go in and change it because it's public. Now the thing with and the the and each time they add more transactions to the chain, which is the ledger, they add another block of transactions to the chain, which is in the ledger. So it's a block chain. It's a and that's what they do. So this is this is what is so significant about the blockchain. This is actually the first major innovation in accounting system since the Medici's developed double entry accounting back in the 1300s. This actually is a is a huge breakthrough in sort of keeping track of things in a ledger. So you have a blockchain and this blockchain is then validated. Every time you add additional transactions on our blocks, you have to validate whether those transactions are valid. And what they do is they have individuals that will go in, you post a, a new block to the blockchain, and then immediately individuals out in, in, uh, in cyberspace, they will then start going through and doing a calculation to see whether this block that you've just been added validates. And, for instance, have uh, it, to make certain that, say, you haven't spent the same crypto coin twice. And so they do this validation and after they get the validation done, the first person that validates it gets paid, and they get paid in cryptocurrency. 
And then once the validation is done, the transaction goes through. So the blockchain is a distributed ledger that actually is validated without a central authority. And this, uh, this whole concept was developed really by a sort of a libertarian concept where you don't trust the government, you don't trust the government maintaining things. You want to just let the people maintain central control of it in a distributed way. So the blockchain was invented um, in, uh, in, in order to uh, get rid of central control and tra- so you could track things without any kind of central control. But in order to get people to validate the blocks as you were adding a new block onto the blockchain, you have to pay them something. And so the guys that invented the distributed blockchain, uh, this is this, he's an anonymous guy, Satoshi Nakamoto, back in 2008 is when he invented it. He basically had people do the calculation to validate the blockchain, and he then would pay them in in cryptocurrency. Now, when when he invented the distributed blockchain, he had to do a proof of principle. And so the cryptocurrency that he was giving the people who were validating the blockchain were Bitcoin. So he'd give them so many Bitcoins. The first person to, to validate the block would get so many Bitcoins. Once they get three or four people validating the block, there's a certain they vote on it. The block is validated. The transaction goes through. And so the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, is required so that you can pay the people to validate the blockchain. The people that do this validation of each block, they're called miners because they are mining, so to speak, for Bitcoin. Now, cryptocurrency would be one application of, of a distributed ledger. And, and so in, in this case, using a distributed ledger for cryptocurrency, it ensures that you can't spend it twice. So if you would take a particular cryptocurrency, which, you know, which is just a, a string of zeros and ones, I mean, I could take my little digital zeros and one string and I could spend it uh, at one store. Then I could take the same string and I could spend it at another store. How can you ensure that the person does not spend their cryptocurrency more than once? And you do that through the validation process. And so this distributed ledger with the blockchain validation solved the double spending problem for cryptocurrency. And it made cryptocurrency actually very practical. But there are a lot of other applications for this thing, anything which, anything which, which requires tracking. And you can do things like uh, you can have a smart contract with, uh, that, that use, where, the, where the contract is registered and all the transactions are registered in a blockchain and people can't change the contract and the and there are actually actions that a contract may have to take and all that could be built into a blockchain kind of system you could do land transactions see this is you know like you, you don't want to you don't want somebody to sell the same piece of land twice it's sort of like the cryptocurrency and so you can you can represent land in a digital way that's called as a token and then you can use blockchains to track land transactions. You can use it to track art transactions, and you can actually track the provenance of art of artwork quite easily. It's fantastic for voting. I mean, if you would give individuals, you know, each would have a digital signature, and you vote, and, and your vote goes into the blockchain, immediately, if you voted more than once, it's going to be picked up, because that's like double spending. So blockchains for, for tracking voting is very good. Tracking health records, identity protection, supply chain train tracking. If you'd want to, if you buy some food and you would like to know exactly where was this fish caught, 
Where, where did it stay? Was it frozen? And you could track the whole supply chain of that food as it would come to you. You could do that through, um, through a distributed ledger. You could do something like contribution tracking in charities. Wouldn't it be nice if you, 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 know, if you give $100 to this charity and you say, I wonder where that money went. If, if they would track all of the work that they would do through blockchain technology, you could actually see where your money was spent and where your money went after you gave it to the charity. Um, it's, uh, and so cryptocurrency is just one small application of distributed ledgers. It just turns out that cryptocurrency is an essential element of distributed ledgers because that's the way you pay the miners. Now, this Ethereum that you mentioned, see, one of the problems with Bitcoin, that distributed ledger was written by uh, Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 with one application and one application only, Bitcoin. So that distributed ledger only had one particular cryptocurrency application. So, but how would you, say, do an application for land tracking or for artwork providence or for supply train tracking? I mean, that's, a, that's complicated if you want to do that. And so a guy developed Ethereum. Uh, this was the, um, this was the Vitalik Buterin. He in, in, developed Ethereum. What he did, he took, and took a blockchain structure... Now, the Bitcoin that he used in Ethereum, they call them Ethers. So then whenever you would validate the blockchain within Ethereum, you would get paid in Ethers. But on top of Ethereum, he wrote a scripting language, a very complete programming language that sits on top of Ethereum. So it is possible then for someone to write an application that uses blockchain technology, but they don't have to program the whole blockchain. So this actually, Ethereum is probably the first major movement of moving blockchain technology into real applications. And now there are literally hundreds of applications, blockchain applications being developed with Ethereum in, in, the, in the programming language uh, in Ethereum. So this, that's kind of a big development. And I think you're going to see more and more blockchain, blockchain technologies evolve in the future. It is a, it is a huge development. Um, I mean, another application might be, say, micropayments. This would be a cryptocurrency application. You go to a developing country where people don't, don't have bank accounts, they don't have credit cards. Uh, you, could, uh, you, you might be able to use micropayments and pay people in cryptocurrency just locally because you, you don't need a bank account. It could just be a transaction there. So in developing countries, this uh, distributed ledger in cryptocurrency may, in fact, sort of bypass the whole need to have central banks out there and central currencies out there, and especially in some developing countries when they have these hyperinflation rates and the country's just printing money till the cows come home and they have more and more and more inflation. Wouldn't it be nice if you could get paid in a cryptocurrency that wasn't dependent on the corruption of the central government? That gets back more to the libertarian motivations behind cryptocurrency well that was a great um, a great email carl it's a little bit lengthy explanation because blockchain is a little complicated but it is a major major development we got an email from arnie in colorado springs hi dr shirts happy new year I've got some additional information regarding champagne bubbles. Oh, boy. The simple act of opening a bottle of bubbly involves some fascinating physics, including high-speed giant drops in temperature and oscillating gases. Already in Colorado Springs. He sent me a link. Get this. 
The champagne physics has made it all the way to the Wall Street Journal. That's crazy. Well, we, you know, we're usually on the cutting end of stuff here. Edge of that's, stuff here. That's right. We we were really on it. But this particular article dealt with exactly what is the physics as the as the as the as the cap pops off the champagne. You get that little popping noise. You know, it's funny. I didn't realize this because I'm a newbie at this thing. Champagne, as he mentioned here, mm-hmm. is really sensitive to temperature. Yes. So we tried to transport via car a a half-empty bottle of champagne Mm -hmm. that had been recorked. And uh, it's a problem. It's it, 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 the the almost put a hole in the ceiling of the car. Uh-huh. Uh huh. See, with, that means you, you, you should have probably just finished the whole bottle in the and studio and started with a new one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. That's why they. That's why they have that little wire over the cap. Is that why? Yeah. So so it won't pop out. That's fascinating. But, but okay. Well, so if you have the wire on and the thing wants to blow. Something's got to give. Yeah, will the bottle give? No, it's 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 pretty thick. So they they've they've engineered it so that even when the champagne gets hot, the the cork's not going to blow. But the thing is, is that once you take the wire off and you it's gonna, it, it's and gonna, you and, and you let it you, you 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 let it heat up, it will blow out the cork. <laughs> so they they discovered that through trial and error, and they finally said, well, let's put a wire o- around the cork. That's so how I discovered it. That's was trial and error. That's right. <laughs> So we got an email. Uh, so, well, thank you, Arnie, and I'm glad you're keeping track of all that champagne physics. We got uh-huh. an email from Rich in Silver Spring. Dear Dr. Search, you probably remember my crazy idea of HD flow systems for transmitting uh, high-definition TV through my Wi-Fi system. You told me how to configure the system. I did that, and it worked perfectly. But when I finally got the picture to come to through the TV, it wasn't very high quality because the, the, this particular protocol did not transfer all the HD formatting. So I'm probably now going to use the cord cutting methods that you have been talking about. It sounds like a much better way to get TV, HD, um, HD TV around the house. Now, on an unrelated question, when you talked about the crack volume, uh, vulnerability. This is a K-R-A-C-K. Oh, that's important. Yeah, that's called the key reinstallation attack. That's that kind of crack. Uh, that you, you, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Wi-Fi vulnerability. I wonder if you could use MAC address authentication as a way to protect your Wi-Fi system until they, until they get a patch out for crack. Well, okay, let's talk about this a bit. Okay, so what we have here... Uh, there's a flaw in the basic Wi-Fi, the, uh, the WPA security protocol in Wi-Fi, that makes it possible for attackers to eavesdrop on your data when you connect to Wi-Fi. It's dubbed crack because it's a called key reinstallation attack. And um, it affects the core Wi-Fi protocol itself. It's not, it's not a specific with any particular product or implementation. And it works against all modern Wi-Fi networks. So that means that your Wi-Fi router is vulnerable to crack. Now, what it does, it targets, crack targets the third step in a four-way authentication handshake. So whenever your computer is trying to connect to the Wi-Fi network, there's like they, they, they send signals back and forth, and it's a four-way handshake in order to get set up the connection. And in the third step of, the, uh, of that four-way handshake, an encryption key is sent. And you can trigger... The Wi-Fi network to keep sending the uh, keep sending a key, keep sending an encryption key, and if you can, if you can collect enough encryption keys that are sent to you, you can actually 
you you can actually calculate what the uh, you can actually calculate what the what the encryption key is for the for the network. That's why it's called key reinstallation attack, and they're all vulnerable. Now, fortunately, the companies are working to uh, you know to patch this issue. And already Windows 10 machines have been out there, and so uh, the clients are going to be patched. So that w- that will eliminate this handshake problem for the for clients once you cl- uh, once you um, update your client. But we're still waiting for the routers to be updated. So you may want to keep checking for firmware updates for your router to fix that. So we're probably the everything will be patched within the next uh, few months. Now, as far as MAC address authentication, what that means is um, that's not a very effective way to keep people out of your network, by the way. It's uh, every every computer has a, has, has a hardware address. It's called the Media Access Control Address, MAC address, M-A-C address. And, and, so, uh, and so what happens is your router will will see a, a computer on the network and they'll see the MAC address and they'll assign uh, an IP address to it through through uh, DHCP, Dynamic Host Pro- Configuration Protocol. And so they'll, they'll you know, a, a computer will request an IP address and they'll send it to that and they'll associate then that particular MAC address with the IP address. Now, it is possible to tell your router that you will only dish out an IP address to certain MAC addresses, to certain hardware addresses, and that if that's not that hardware address, you won't give them uh, an IP address, and, and then you can't, you can't get onto the, the network. And so that's, a, that's a, kind of a very simple way sort of to limit access. So if you know the MAC address for your laptops and your cell phone, you could say only give an IP address to these following MAC addresses, but no other MAC addresses. So that's what that's called MAC address filtering. Here's the problem. You can spoof a MAC address. So I could sit on, sit there on your network, and I could watch the traffic on your network, and I could see what all the MAC addresses are because they're not encrypted. And then I could simply configure my laptop to, to spoof the MAC address that I saw. So, even, so the MAC address is not unique. You can actually configure any computer to simulate whatever MAC address you want with this MAC address spoofing. And I, I know this works because uh, when my son was out, was going to college, you know, he, I, I, I probably, he, you, you had to pay to get on to the, to, the, to the university network. And they used MAC address filtering. So Rich would just simply, Rich would just simply, he would just simply sit there, look at the network. He had like a little network sniffer. He'd look at the, and he'd sniff out the network so he could, he could pick up the MAC addresses. He spoofed the MAC address on his laptop, and he was on the network in a snap. So, so, the, I, so I know that MAC address filtering won't work at all. Uh, he's not in school anymore, no. so he can't get in trouble now. That's good. He's he already, can still get in trouble, just he, not in school. Yeah, he, <laughs> you know, well, he's, he's, he's already he's got his diploma, so he's, 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 all, he's set. So, so MAC address filtering is not any kind of secure way, but it would keep the casual neighbor from getting on your network. <laughs> but if somebody really wants to get in your network, that's not going to work at all. No. We got an email from Rita in Fairfax, Dear Tech Talk. I dated a guy. Oh, this, this Here is, we go. Here we go. I dated a guy who installed Linux on my computer and was also the administrator of my computer. He he can monitor my computer from his home. We're no longer he, dating. That's the problem. We're no longer <laughs> dating, but he's still doing things to my computer. <laughs> what can I do? He knows all my passwords, Rita and Fairfax. I think she needs to get another computer. 
Okay, or, Rita, this is the thing. Whoever set up your computer has complete access to it. Uh, now, uh, now here's the thing. You there is an administrative password that you could you could change the administrative password. And if the person who set it up did not have any nefarious goals in mind, changing the <laughs> changing the administrative password would probably work. However, if he had any kind of nefarious goals in mind, he could easily have installed a backdoor. He could have installed a you know a keystroke tracker. He could install all kinds of way to mo- ways to monitor your system, even if you change the admin password. Once somebody has been in, especially a Linux system, once somebody's been in that set up that computer, if you don't trust them, there's only one way. There's only one way to know that you're going to be secure. That's to reinstall the operating system. So what you've got to do is you've got to get all your data, back up all your data, which would probably be your document data. Take all your well, Word, Word documents and all that stuff. So she's going to need another boyfriend who knows how to get into her computer. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to suggest that you don't have your next boyfriend do it. I, and, There's this thing called Geek Squad. I, and listen, I you know, it does, if you're not a computer geeky person, so I don't know why you'd want Linux anyway. Why don't you just get? Why don't you just get, get, get something that you know, like Microsoft Windows or get a Mac. Get, but Linux is Linux. You've got to be kind of geeky to use Linux. Yeah, so you do. You're, so either you're going to have to get another boyfriend to reinstall it, but then you're going to have the same but problem again. You might have to wait until you get married, so you know that he's going to be around. That's wait right. Wait a minute. That doesn't make that doesn't mean anything either. That's right. So. There you go. So my advice, learn something about your computer and do it yourself. That's a great idea. <laughs> that's right. And that's what we're all about here, isn't we it? Are, we are all about that. Uh-huh. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you immediately or maybe at the next show. It is Saturday morning, and we're back. This is Tech Talk Radio on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, and 103.9 FM HD 2. More of Tech Talk in just a minute. Oh, by the way, you can watch us do the show now that I've fixed Periscope. Download Periscope to your device and follow us at... WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu 18 it that's stratford.edu 18 it If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. 
Yes, today we're going to feature Andrew W. Houston. They call him Drew. That's instead of Andrew. His Drew. mother calls him Andrew W. Though. Yeah, she calls him Andrew W. But his mm-hmm. friends call him Drew. He's best known as co-founder and CEO of Dropbox, an online backup and storage service. I use Dropbox. I like it. I finally actually got a paid version of. It. I was using the free version for the longest time, but uh, I finally ran out of my allotment of free space. <laughs> And so I went ahead and just sprung for like nine, $9 a month. You're or all about the free stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I have all the free stuff, but I'm, now I'm paying like $5 a month or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I've got, got more space than I really need, but now I'm not going to run out. Okay, Drew, Drew, Drew Houston was born in Acton, Massachusetts in 1983. He was, as he grew up in the Boston suburbs, he was started tinkering with computers, you know, at, at a young age. At age five, he was playing around with the IBM PC Junior computer that his parents bought him. He loved, uh, he loved doing that. And he was, like, always doing techie stuff. Um, his mother uh, thought her son was... Uh, was what uh, what was going to become like a code geek, and she was worried about him. And so, I don't know. I don't know why she didn't like geeks, but she didn't want to just be too geeky. So she made him take French. She thought, okay, if you take French, you you're not going to be too geeky. That's going to help. And then she uh, and she wanted him to sort of you know hang out with some of the athletes at the school so he could you know do some athletics. And he wanted to skip a grade because he he was he was he was smart enough, but she didn't want him to skip a grade. She wanted him to stay with his social group. So she was worried about his sort of social social development. He was growing up, but at a very early age, she showed an inclination to code and to do technology. At fourteen, Houston signed up to be a beta tester for an online game. As soon as he was beta testing the online game, he started playing around with the security of it, or I just say the insecurity, he started hacking into it. And it turned out the game company then hired him as a programmer to help fix these security flaws in exchange for some equity in the company. This was when he was only 14 years old. Uh, he attended the Acton Broxboro Regional High School in the 1990s. In 2005, he graduated from MIT with a degree in computer science, where he was a member of the Phi Delta Theta fraternity. Throughout high school and college, he you know he worked he he worked on it at a number of startups. He worked at Bit9, then he worked at Accolade, then he worked at HubSpot. Uh, then finally, Dropbox was his sixth startup that he that he actually worked on. He conceived of Drop Dropbox on a trip from Boston to New York. You know he had planned to actually do work on that trip, you know, work on his homework. And uh, and all of his assignments were on a USB thumb drive, and he left it on his desk at home. So he couldn't, he didn't have any of his documents with him. And he thought, you know, if only my documents were, you know, stored on the, on the Internet or on the cloud, I'd be able just to, you know, download them here and work on them. So then he decided that uh, cloud storage of files would be a really useful thing to do. So he was sitting there on that bus trip with nothing to do because he didn't have his documents. So he started, he opened up a text editor, and he started writing the first lines of code for Dropbox. He started it while he was just sitting there right on the bus, started writing Dropbox code. He, While still at MIT, Houston met uh, a friend, uh, Arash Verdowski. And he showed, uh, he showed Arash his, uh, his Dropbox idea. 
Arash thought that was a pretty good idea. So they decided to co-found Dropbox together. Arash became the chief technology officer, and, uh, and Drew became the chief executive officer. Uh, they actually founded, officially founded Dropbox in June of 2007, and they got funding through Y Combinator. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a venture capitalist out in Silicon Valley. Now, he eventually moved to San Francisco uh, after they received their first venture capital money, and they got additional money from Sequoia Capital after they graduated from Y Combinator. They got from Sequoia. They also got uh, some early investment from Google and Apple. Dropbox officially launched in 2008 uh, at, uh, at TechCrunch 50. Now, due to trademark disputes, the official name of Dropbox was actually initially GetDropbox.com because Dropbox was taken. And then in 2009, they finally were able to acquire the official Dropbox name. They basically bought the domain name out. And in October of 2009... They changed the name from GetDropbox.com to Dropbox.com. His initial describing his initial video describing Dropbox went viral while Dropbox was still in beta. And when that thing went viral, they started getting more and more people signing up to use it. In December of 2009, Steve Jobs met with Drew and tried to buy Dropbox, saying it was just a great feature. See, and Apple was one of the one of the early investors in Dropbox. But Drew did not want to sell out to Apple. He turned them down. Two years later, Apple launched iCloud. Oh, no. Which, you see, would be a direct competitor to Dropbox. Yeah, right. And then in April of 2012, Google Drive launched Google, launched Google Drive, which was another competitor to Dropbox. So you see, and Google was also an early investor in Dropbox. So these two early investors, they, they got the idea, saw what was going on, and then they tried to buy it. And when they couldn't buy it, they just stole it, <laughs> more or less. That's the way it usually works. That's right. That's, well, that's Silicon Valley. So Dropbox either had to scale or was going to be crushed. Now, Dropbox solved the freemium riddle, and they actually started earning money. So they... I mean, they look. They're getting money from me. I started out free, and then finally, right? Fine. What I mean, they they actually have a very clever. So you, they give you enough storage, so you get stuff on there, and it's such a pain to take it off and move it that when you go over the limit, you say, "Oh, it's just easier to pay five dollars a month and just keep it." Right. And so because otherwise you'd have to be clearing stuff out, right? Yeah. And so and so their freemium model worked on me. So it, freemium. <laughs> That's the freemium. It's free in the beginning, but it's really it's free, but it's really not. It's really it's, yeah, free. Yeah, that's the freemium. Yeah, and so there. Uh, so in 2011, they 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 were their revenue was 240 million dollars. They were actually making pretty good money. So in uh, August of 2011, he he went on and he raised another 250 million dollars on a four billion dollar valuation from five VCs. In 2011. Dropbox struck a deal with SoftBank and Sony Ericsson to come preloaded on their mobile telephones because he had to penetrate the Android market. On April of 2012, Dropbox announced a new feature where you could upload photos to your three gigabytes of free space. That's what I, I had three gigabytes of free space and I finally ran out of it. Now I have a terabyte of, of space that I'm paying for. Um, and this was a direct move against Google Drive and Microsoft SkyDrive. 
On September 2011, Facebook allowed users to share files using Dropbox. That was a big breakthrough for him. In November of 2014, Microsoft allowed Microsoft Office apps to store files on Dropbox. So he was managing to scale despite having all this competition. On March of 2016, Dropbox announced that it had reached 500 million users. Drew's net worth as of March 2017 was estimated to be about $1 billion. Wow. So Drew's, you know, he's a happy guy. And uh, so, yeah. uh, well, you know, but money can't buy happiness. Money can't buy happiness. So he's, uh, but he's doing his best. So there you go. <laughs> Everything you wanted to know about Andrew W. Houston, the co-founder and CEO of Dropbox. I hope you filed away this information in your personal Dropbox because it might win you free lunch and we come back and play the pop quiz. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. On the web at stratford.edu, federalnewsradio.com. And you can watch us on Periscope. Download the Periscope. Scope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Thank you so much. Good morning, and please be seated. In Profiles in IT, we just finished talking about Andrew Houston the co-founder and CEO of Dropbox. Our question this morning simply is, where did Andrew Houston conceive Dropbox? If you know the answer to the question, hop on the Tech Talk bus and dial us now. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, the number, of course, is 877-936-9333. If you've lost your phone in a snowdrift in Canada... 
Well, you're out of luck. If you're calling us from the greater Boxborough Acton area, it's the Wildcard Line, 877-936-9333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for price distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. GM plans to release cars with no steering in 2019. I mean, this thing well, that's is... That's a way to cut costs. This thing is moving fast. Now, the Department of Transportation has to grant GM a safety petition that will let them deploy a no-steering-wheel, pedal-less, autonomous car. Now, GM is, has not only revealed its, its Level 4 self-driving vehicle, Level 4 means it's completely autonomous, but also they've, they've revealed what it will look like. And they filed a safety petition to be able to deploy it a completely driverless system. It's going to be a Chevy Volt, Chevy Bolt, I should say, and it's going to be called the Cruise AV. It'll be released in 2019. The company described it as the first production-ready vehicle built from the start to operate safely on its own with no driver, no steering wheel, no pedals, Ooh, and no manual controls. No, 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 no. It no. has no controls whatsoever. No, thanks. It treats you as a passenger no matter where you sit. The car can even open and shut doors on its own. Ford, Mercedes, and Waymo plan to release cars with no steering wheels of their own. Now, here's the problem. It's the new GM death trap. <laughs> here's the problem. Americans are still skeptical about driverless cars. What? No. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay, so Americans don't trust driverless cars. Nope. So there was a survey, uh, and they 31% of the people said they would be very concerned to be in a driverless car. 33% they would be somewhat concerned to be in a driverless <laughs> car. The majority, 63% of the surveyed, of those surveyed, said they would not support a mass exemption from federal modal safety standards for self-driving cars. And they are not comfortable, that 75% are not comfortable with automakers having the power to remotely disable vehicle controls. Yeah, right. And people overwhelmingly support, 75% that is, the U.S. Department of Transportation developing new standards related to driverless cars. Now, Congress has decided, is considering legislation to give the industry wide latitude to display autonomous vehicles on public roads without having to adhere to existing safety policy. Congress is under intense lobbying pressure by technology firms and the auto industry to take a hands-off approach to the autonomous vehicle. And people are concerned about that. Yeah. So there's going to be a there's going to be a transition, I think, to driverless cars. So let me ask you this question: <laughs> uh, You know, they always say never buy a, a new car the first generation. Yeah. Don't you think it would be better if they phased this in instead of just coming up with a car? People would have more confidence in this if you I, had the override. It, I, see, I think there's one. Pro it's if you mix driverless cars and dr and cars with drivers together, that's mm -hmm. where you have a problem. Really? Yeah, because almost all the accidents that have occurred have occurred because uh, a a car with a driver did not expect the driverless car to do what it did, and so mm -hmm. they they hit it in the back or something. So the, the most of the errors are caused by people by drive by people who are driving a car. And so there's the coexistence of driverless cars okay. and driver cars so that's, is is a bit of a problem. That's that's what that's what. See, yeah, if okay. we were all driverless, and then then the driverless cars could communicate with each other, be extremely safe. Okay, my point is this: How many times a day do you have to reboot your computer, or do, does that ever happen? Do you ever have a computer problem? Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. So what happens? What happens when the driver with the car without the steering wheel and the controls malfunction? It's going to malfunction, mm -hmm. right? 
What do you do? You just let it cruise off a cliff somewhere and <laughs> accept your fate with no way of changing it? That's, I mean, that's that's what worries me. So, so the, because there are no buttons, there's no right. emer- there's, an em- there's no emergency override. Exactly. That's right. Like, like not even a, a stop and so, button. <laughs> and so, there's also the issue when you go fully autonomous, there are moral decisions that have to be made. Yes, we talked about this. Yeah, and so the question is: so there's going to be a uh, a wreck, and is the car programmed to protect the 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 those who are in the car at the expense of whoever are going to be hit? Right. So the car might there's one person in the car, and you're going to mow down ten other people. You have to make a choice: do I save the one person in the car or mow down ten? Exactly. If you make a pure moral decision, you just throw away the guy in the car, but it's his car, and so how the well, so 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 what are they doing about this? This is a big issue. There have been ethics classes through this. This is not a resolved issue. They are still trying to resolve the ethics of how you program these systems when for fail. And there, and so I think if you're dumb enough to buy one of these, you go down with a ship. That's what I'm saying. So, so they they haven't resolved that. And I think the resolution of these ethics issues is going to be is is going to have to be accepted by the people who buy the car yeah, one right. way or the other. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2 and 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio. An annual survey by the analytics firm Comscore found that consumers are now buying more things online than in stores. According to the results, shoppers now make 51% of their purchases online. That was compared to 48% in 2015 and 47% in 2014. So this is the first year that more than half of all purchases were made online. The survey showed that 44% of smartphone users buy buy using their device. That's what I do. I buy all my stuff with my yeah. with my smartphone. Mm-hmm. 190 million of 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 the 190 million US consumers, more than half the population shop online according to Forrester research. 
That's a wake-up call for all the retailers like Macy's, Nordstrom's, Penny's, Kohl's, which all reported sales slumps. Even big names like Walmart and Target had slight increases, but that wasn't great increases. On the other hand, Amazon's revenues rose 15.8% in the last 12 months. So Amazon is like eating these guys' lunches. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't understand. I went to a mall this past weekend, and I don't do that often, but mm-hmm. we had a couple things we wanted to do. And it was packed, but we were talking about how malls are dying. I don't get it. No, they were packed so people could return stuff. This was this was the after Christmas return so day. This is this is a matter of probably <clears throat> something was bought online and people are taking it back to a store. So it turns out that people like to re- like to take it to the store and return it. And so this one of the biggest sales days for the stores is the return day. And so, uh, yeah, okay. so they, were an- they were anticipating so, that. So, and, and we weren't taking anything back. We just thought we would take advantage of some of the deals. Uh-huh. And that's why we went. But I guess we just went. It's, it must just be that weekend. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, that weekend right after. Because this is, there's a, so sales are made very slowly over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And then in a two-day period, everything's returned. So it's you know, just sort of artificially crowded that day. I need to uh, join a mall walking club so I can get better. Um, That's exactly right. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio. The year that made Twitter and social media famous. From political, or infamous. Infamous. From political controversies to sexual harassment, Twitter has been the center of movements that are shaking society. Twitter's been used by the president at at real Donald Trump nearly every morning. Uh, nearly every morning, he, yeah. he basically is announcing some new policy change. On October 15th, activists, actors, and women from the cross the U.S. began tweeting with the two-word hashtag, MeToo. They were inspired by the sexual harassment allegations against uh, Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein. 
Yeah, that was published in the New York Times and the New Yorker. Within 24 hours, the hashtag was trending globally and had been retreated, retreated nearly half a million times. Tweets referring to the Me Too's have been seen by more than have been seen more than 15 billion times. Jeez. <laughs> Social media was used by the Russians to disrupt the election and see discontent in the U.S. During last year's presidential election, many Twitter users unknowingly felt the influence of Russian bots or automated software posing as real users. For example, Twitter counted 36,000 fake accounts between September and October November, uh, 2016 that generated 1.4 million automated election-related tweets and received 288 million views. One study released in March said that bots make up about 48 million Twitter accounts or 15% of the social media's monthly users. Twitter, meanwhile, maintains about 27 million of its, of its accounts are bots. They say, no, it's not 48 million. It's only 27 million are bots. Uh-huh. <laughs> Still wow. a lot. That is a lot. Social media has changed how we process and disseminate information. Hey, now, so I have a question. Twitter's yes. gotten wildly uh, popular, however... The, the, are they still having trouble monetizing what it is that they do, or is that is they're that really, They're really not making any money. How how can they not figure this out? So, uh, well, nobody wants to pay for it. I mean, and and so they're trying to figure out if they can deliver ads with it. I mean, right. I, I think they're going to have to monetize it with ads. But then if people start seeing a lot of ads, they don't want to – so they they really have had trouble trying to monetize so it. Then it. So if, if they chase people away from that, then it chases them to the next thing. To, to the next thing. So uh, uh, so the, the investors are still hoping that they're going to find a way to monetize it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, it may be that, that a larger company buys it and incorporates it in a broader, in, in a broader product line and makes it. Mm -hmm. Now, the website of the week, Google Trends for 2017 – and if you can, you can go on the website if you want to take a look at it. There are a lot. I just pulled out a few of the things. Like for, and they, what they did, Google goes through, and they look at all the trends for the year, and they they just look at search things. I just pulled out four of them. Like they have searches like what is. So these are the top five what is searches that occurred in the United States, not global. You, you can you can either pick a country or pick global. I did this for in the United States. Number one, what is DACA? Mm -hmm. Number two, what is Bitcoin? Number three, what is a solar eclipse? Duh. <laughs> number four, what is Antifa? And number five, what is net neutrality? So that's what was on people's mind this last year in the top five. Now we have how to. How to make slime is number one. I don't know why, why would that... Uh, uh, do you know why that would be number one, Jim? Uh, how to make slime. Uh, uh, because we have nothing else to waste our time yeah. with. Okay, how to make solar eclipse glasses? I'm thinking I don't well, want I don't want to make my own solar eclipse glasses. No, I glasses. think I want to leave that to refer but or just do what the president did. Don't use them. Who needs them, right? Uh, yeah, who <laughs> Well, you know what? Well, you know I I made a little pinhole camera. I <laughs> No, I, I took a piece of paper, Jim, and I stuck a very small pinhole in it. And then I put it in front of the and I projected the uh, the the sun onto the sidewalk and I watched the solar eclipse. Wow. That's pretty cool. It was very, it was very easy to do, but you have to sort of put in. I had a box actually because you, 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 so I, I took this, I, I did projection, and I, and I, and I, I watched the solar eclipse down at the bottom of a box. 
And it was, uh, you know, it was it was interesting. As I recall, it was pretty cloudy, and we didn't get to see it in Baltimore. Oh, but then again, it's always cloudy in Baltimore. So I, I was I was down I was down by the bay, and I, I didn't have any clouds. Yeah. But I but I have to say, I nobody was interested. You know, I said well, I'm going to make a pinhole camera to watch the solar eclipse. I'm telling you, it was it just way, cleared the room. It was pretty much a one man show. Yeah, nobody, I'll bet it was. Nobody, nobody. <laughs> they said, "Wow, look at the time." They said, "There he goes again." Let's 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 let. <laughs> there he goes again. Mr. Science. Let's go. Let's get another beer and enjoy the afternoon. Okay, so then we have what's that? So how to make a solar? Uh, how to make solar glasses? How to watch a solar eclipse? How to watch Mayweather? Mayweather versus McGregor. Oh, snore. How to buy Bitcoin was mm. number five. Now here's on the consumer tech searches number one. Number one search item for consumer tech was the iPhone 8. Number two was the iPhone 10. Number three was the Nintendo Switch. Number four was the Galaxy S8. And number five was the Razer phone. I, I'm I'm in shock that the Razer phone was number five. That's so yesterday. I, I know. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Now on people, number one, Matt Lauer. Go figure. Number two, Meghan Markle. Go figure again. Number three, Harvey Weinstein. Number four, Michael Flynn, and number five, Kevin Spacey. So you can see there we got three harassers, a politician. And somebody and, who's getting married. And somebody who's getting married. That's right. Slide aisle. It makes it easier to get through those little awkward moments in mm-hmm. life when you'd rather not talk to the person directly. Yes. <laughs> Slide aisle lets you connect directly to another person's cell phone voicemail. It only works with cell phones. Mm-hmm. You call their cell phone number, and it goes directly to voicemail, bypassing the traditional ringing process, which could result in the embarrassing answering of the phone. Mm-hmm. You're guaranteed that the other person will not pick up. Now, you just simply call 267-SLY-DIAL, 267-S-L-Y-D-I-A-L, from either a cell phone or a landline, and you're prompted to enter the other person's cell phone number. Mm-hmm. This only works on cell phones. It only works on cell phones, so you can, you can guarantee you get that you'll get their voicemail. Now, this service is free. Now, I tried a slide dial last night just to see how it worked. Is and that why my phone rang at 2.30 in the morning? No, your phone won't ring. It's just voicemail. Uh-huh. Just voicemail, Jim. Now, the thing is, you've got to listen to an ad before they put it through. This is how they pay for it. So you, you put in the number, and then you listen to some ad about something. I didn't even pay attention. And then and then it says, we're now sending your, your call through. And it went straight to voicemail. Mm-hmm. So if you want to deliver that special little message... Via voicemail, simply dial 267-SLY-DIAL, and you'll have it. That's it for this week. Tech Talk Radio returns next Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.